So uh, make sure you, you greet your family for me. You ever say that? Make, say hi to your wife for me. Say hi to your, your kids. We, this is something we kind of commonly do is Wisconsinites. Or if uh, anybody, anyone know um, the great um, Wisconsin scholar Charlie Behrens? Anyone? He's a comedian, for those who don't know. He does a lot of like, funny stuff with Wisconsin. What does he always say that people say when they're talking with each other? What's he say? Anyone know? What is it? Tell your folks I says hi. Yeah, make sure. No, good to see you, and tell your folks I says hi. Right? That, we, people do this. It's a great Wisconsin thing, right? Tell your folks I says hi. Instead of say hi, but whatever. It's Wisconsin is what we do. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we have this tendency. We want to make sure to greet, greet your family, greet, you know, greet your parents, greet your kids. Apparently, we, we care a lot about family. Family is valuable to us and how we relate to, to family as well. A family is something that matters, and, and we think about it, especially on a day like Mother's Day. Uh, it's, a, it's a great day to stop and celebrate family, to celebrate mothers, which is why today I, do, I just want to stop and I want to thank, thank you mothers and mother figures for all you do. And, and, and I say mother figures, too, because remember, you don't have to be biologically someone's mother to, to, to be a mother to them. There are plenty of ways, whether it be through adoption, whether it be through um, simply just, just coming and, and, and helping someone who's younger or being, being a mother in the faith to a, uh, someone who's younger and really taking them. Mothers and mother figures, thank you for your love and for your care and for your wisdom and, and support. I want to give the conference a special opportunity to, to thank their their mothers and mother figures this morning. Each of you have a rose that you can take and go back and give. Give the rose and hug them too while you're at it, would you? You don't have to be embarrassed to hug in front of others. Make sure go right ahead. Give them a good hug. Well done, guys. Good job. Yeah. All right. Mother's Day is a great day. It's a beautiful day to celebrate moms and to celebrate families. But also today, we should also be honest that sometimes Mother's Day is really challenging. You know, because hopefully you can see moms today and mom figures and, and have a beautiful day. Sometimes, though, for some, you have sadness on Mother's Day because you're like me and, like, my mom's already with Jesus and... I can't go see my mom today or call my mom today. So there's sadness on Mother's Day. Or some, for some of you, today's a tough day because maybe you don't have a great relationship with your mom. Or maybe you are a mom and your kids won't talk to you right now for some reason. And you don't see them because there's something going on. That's also hard. Also, Mother's Day can be hard because there might be some of you here who have been praying for a long time that you want to be a mom, and God has not granted that prayer. God has said no. Or for some of you, you carried a child for a while, but not long enough, and you never got to meet the child that was in your womb. Today can be a really tough day. Mother's Day can be challenging, partly because also just families Families are beautiful gifts and also can be incredibly complicated and difficult. And, uh, you know, one of the great things that I've 
learned in being a pastor, because growing up, I always thought, like, man, my family's got such a, my family's messy. It's complicated. I wish my family was, was neater like their family. You know, one of the great things that I've discovered, y'all have messed up families. Everybody's family's a mess. Like, whenever people are like, oh, my family's so messy, you're like, join the club. Guess what? Everybody's family is complicated and messy and challenging. And today we have a lesson that is for people who live in messy families. So our lesson, it's part of this Easter season series that we're in, Godly Values for New Life. And remember, Easter season is a season of new life. Jesus rose to give us a resurrection future, but also a, a resurrection reality now, where there are new valuable foundational things to our lives. And, and a couple weeks ago, we talked about the, the value of faith. And faith is not this power you work up inside of you. It's a gift God has given you. The Holy Spirit gives you faith to believe in him, to believe that Jesus died and rose again, and that through that, you have new life. And that's why faith has the power to take a mountain, to take the mountain of your sin and throw it into the sea, to take the mountain of who you were and throw it into the sea so you can step forward in hope and new life. Last week, we talked about the value of fellowship. The fact that when you are brought faith brought to faith in Christ, you are cleansed, you are made a holy holy dwelling place of the big, perfect God of the universe. Which is why when you are gathered around other Christians like right now, you have never been in a holier place than you are this moment. Because you are surrounded by fellow dwelling places of the God of the universe. This is a gathering of sacred space. Whenever you are around brothers and sisters in Christ, you are in a sacred space because God dwells in each and every one of you. Today we're going to keep thinking about the beauty of those around us and what God has worked with us. By now, thinking about how God has redeemed for us family. And as we think about this lesson, not only has God redeemed family, but he also kind of gives us a whole new way to think about and embrace this beautiful gift, this beautiful value of family. The lesson we have is Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. It says, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers? He asked. When he looked around at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now at this point, we're fairly early on in the ministry of Jesus, but Jesus is getting just really, really popular at this point. The crowds are really coming after him. I mean, think about it. We read that background lesson where Jesus goes out in the wilderness, and there's this massive crowd here. This is like opposite marketing. Right? Like, we have this location on Cottage Grove Road to be visible, right? We want to be right in the middle of town so that people say, hey, what church you go to? You'd be like, you go to the pig? Yeah, cross the street, right? This is what we typically do. Jesus, like, went the opposite, way out of the middle of nowhere. Everybody came, followed him so much so that this crowd is so big that Jesus is like, disciples, you better get a boat ready because I'm going to need to stand in it because everybody wants to touch me because they want to be healed. They're going to crush me. So I need to stand in a boat this big of a crowd. And that crowd then actually follows him so that he goes to a house. And when he sits down in the house, the crowd is so big that he and his disciples can't even eat. And as this is happening, as he's so popular and the crowds are so big, notice it starts to concern and upset his family. Which, by the way, just pause for a moment. Yes, Jesus had a family, mom, brothers. What an interesting, what an interesting just reality to think about. 
Jesus' mom and his brothers, his family come and notice this line. They went to take charge of him. Why? Because they said, he is out of his mind. Can you imagine actually just like saying, whoa, Jesus, totally out of his mind. Can you imagine even letting those words come out of your mouth? His family did. His family sees what's going on. They're like, Jesus is, Jesus has lost it. He's out of his mind. I want us to think for a minute today, why? What, what's going on here? Why do they think Jesus is out of his mind? And to, to help us think about this question, I want you to imagine that Jesus is in your family or your family is in Jesus' family. So if this was your family and one of the siblings was Jesus, what would your family, your siblings think? What would you think? Just, just stop and just, just imagine. Okay, if you're part of Jesus' family or Jesus is part of your family, why would you be like, man, he's out of his mind? To put the best construction on it, probably as a mom, there could be some, some concern. Like, man, he's not, he can't even sit down and eat. You know, concern like he's got to take care of himself. You know, he doesn't want to run too ragged. doesn't want to, you know, he's got he's to sit down and eat, and I'm, I'm concerned about my boy. That could be part of it. But let's be honest. If one of your siblings was all of a sudden so popular that massive crowds followed them wherever they went, how would you feel? Or maybe to flip it, if you were the really popular one, how would your siblings feel? Got any ideas? Jealous. Yeah, right? Like, I mean, I'm just thinking about, like, Jesus and his, bro- and his brothers. Like, come on, like, they're a carpenter's family. Carpenters are nobodies. I mean, not today. I'm like, if anybody here is a carpenter, good. Dale, you do good construction work. But in Jesus' day, Jesus' day, God, like, his family was poor, right? This is not a, fa- like, a big, ritzy family, and all of a sudden, like, his brother's like, who does he think he is, you know? Going and having this crowd gathering him, and remember, they're gathering, too, because they think he's the Messiah, and most people think that's a military leader. I just imagine one of Jesus's brothers be like, man, these guys all think he's so tough. I pinned him so many times when he was a kid. You know, I'm just imagining brothers wrestling, you know, like, just the family dynamics, right? And, like, who is this guy? Why is he doing this? Jealousy, Maybe just bitterness to just, like, why he's getting all of his attention. Who does he think he is to do this? Right? Like, this is, people do this. This is, this is how families work. Jealousy, bitterness, maybe baggage from whatever. Yeah. Those are some of the things that, as you think about our lesson today, and we think about, about Jesus being told that his mother and brothers are outside, those are likely some of the things that are going on in their mind and their heart as we see this scene unfold. Maybe jealousy, bitterness, maybe just like negative attitude, like what is he doing? Or, I mean, it could have been. Keep in mind, too, so in that day, remember the Romans have some power over the Jewish people, and so maybe his family's like, if he keeps getting these big crowds, the Romans are going to squash this, and then our family's going to be in real trouble. What does he think he's doing drawing attention to? Like, it could be any number of things. And likely there's a variety of mixed emotions going on as we get to our lesson today. Complicated, messy emotions. And this isn't the first time in God's word that we see complicated, messy family emotions. Today, as we think about the the value of family, it's important to realize that God's word is very honest, that families are complicated. And I want to give you three family examples to help illustrate this point. Let's go back first to King David. 
You know, the great king of Israel that everybody loves, right? He's the greatest king of Israel. Yeah, except for there's this time where David is hanging out on a roof, and he sees this woman named Bathsheba taking a bath, which I still think is strange. Bathsheba, bath. Anyway, she's taking a bath. She thinks she's hot. Wants to sleep with her. Pings her over. Sleeps with her. Oops, she's pregnant. Better do something about this. So she tries to get, oh, by the way, Bathsheba's married. Tries to get Bathsheba's husband to come and sleep with her so that he can cover up and everybody can think it's, it's her husband's baby, but her husband doesn't come back and sleep with her. Now he's really in trouble. So he arranges things with the military so that the husband goes to the front lines of the battle and her husband is killed. Nice, huh? Ugh. And he has this son named Absalom. This son, by the way, who was like super, everybody just thought he was so handsome, okay? So like, and so like when he would walk past, people were like, oh, look, he's so handsome. I mean, I suppose it's probably just like whenever Grant walks anywhere, you know, that same kind of thing, except for he had really long hair, really flowing, beautiful hair, um, which your hair is a little shorter than Absalom's. Absalom was really competing against his father to the point where actually David had to leave Jerusalem at some point for fear of his life. And then Absalom, his hair that everybody loved was too long so that he's riding and he gets underneath a tree and his hair gets caught in the tree. What kind of hair did this guy have, right? Like that his hair gets caught in the tree and then he's hanging from the tree and then gets killed. Nice family. (laughs) Let's back it up and let's think about Jacob in the Old Testament. Jacob, who, by the way, God changes his name to Israel, so he is the one that God's people is, is named after. Right? That we were named after, the people of Israel. From the start of his life, you've got sibling issues. Because remember, he's a twin, comes out of the womb, he's hanging on to the brother's heel, he's the heel grabber. From the start. And then you've got this whole story of how, like, his dad's getting old, blind, can't see, he realizes that his life's not going to go too much longer, so he's going to bless his older son, Esau. But so then Jacob and his mom conspire, and they put, like, animal skins on Jacob's arms because apparently Esau's this really hairy dude. And so he goes and he, he pretends, he tricks his father into thinking he's his brother. And then his father blesses him instead. So then his brother is just super angry. So then Jacob has to flee for fear of his life. Sibling rivalry, eh? But then he goes, it doesn't stop there. He goes to live with his uncle Laban, and then he works for his uncle Laban, and he has this agreement with his uncle Laban, like, uncle, okay, um, your daughter Rachel, she's really cute, I want to marry her. And Laban's like, all right, work seven years for me, and you can marry Rachel. He works seven years for his uncle, has the wedding, they have the veil on the whole time, they have the wedding night, wake up the next morning, guess what? Uncle gave him the other daughter. He married Leah, not Rachel. Oops. Not a oops, his uncle did it on purpose. So then... Jacob works another seven years for Rachel, ends up marrying her. Now he's got two wives. Lots of trouble coming there. He eventually goes and, you know, gets reunites with some of his family and so on. But from these two wives, he has these 12 children. And one of those children is named Joseph. And Joseph's story, this is the famous Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat. So Joseph is his father's favorite because Joseph is the son of Rachel, the wife that he wanted to marry in the first place. And so he favors Joseph. His brothers get jealous, so jealous that they actually sell him as a slave to Egypt. And if you read through the family's story, there's other drama that we're just not even going to get into today. The family that God's people are named after. Hallmark worthy, right? Let's go back even more to the beginning. Adam and Eve, 
right? They have their children Cain and Abel. This is a great story for anybody who was like, you know what? I raised my family in the church. I did so many good things like, with them. Like, I don't understand why they made the life decisions they did. Look at Adam and Eve. They have access. They had conversations with God. Their kids could actually offer sacrifices directly to God. And look what happened. Abel offers a sacrifice. God likes it. Cain offers a sacrifice. God doesn't like it because of the heart that Cain has. Cain gets so jealous that he gets angry at his brother, and God actually directly warns Cain. He says, sin is crouching at your door. You must master it. Cain doesn't listen. Kills his brother. Murder in the very first family that ever lived in this world. And some of the family drama even starts before that, because when Adam and Eve brought sin into this world, and God confronts them with it, what's the first thing that Adam says? He goes, this woman that you, that you put here with me, she made me do it. Ever seen finger pointing in a relationship before? Your fault. You did this, right? Right away, Adam and Eve, as soon as sin is in this world, and actually God, Adam kind of points fingers at God too. He's like, you put here with me? The woman you put here with me, she made me do it. Not my fault. And then Eve goes and blames the snake. I wish I had a snake to blame. Like, anytime I screw up, like, honey, it was my fault as a snake. But right away, this is just three families. There's just three families from the Bible. Why are we reviewing all this? Because just really wanted to sink in that the Bible is very clear. Families are a mess often. They're complicated. There's challenges. There's issues. And so... If you're someone who ever feels like, man, my family's messy, I feel, maybe you feel bad about it, I wish my family was like that. Everybody's family is a mess. The families that God has chosen to work through in this world were messes. The family that God chooses to continue to work through in this world are complicated. That's what family is. And so to people like us who are living in a world where we have complicated families, this lesson brings especially good news because it lets us know that even when our families are so complicated, God brings redemption. And there's still even this beautiful value of family. To help us see it, Jesus, he asks this question. He says, where are my mother and my brothers? Or who are my mother and my brothers? It's not that Jesus forgot. Like, he knows his mom's name's Mary, right? He didn't just, he's asking a question to make a point. Who are they? Who are my mother and brothers? He's pushing us to, to, to think in a different way, to, to start to kind of reframe how we think about family. If you think about Jesus' setting here, there, there, there's, there's one way right away I can see that you could see that him kind of reframing how we think about family. Remember, Jesus is Jewish. He's amongst Jewish people who are all descendants of Abraham and Isaac, right? Something that this is very different than our experience as Americans. Like, we come from, like, like, I'm German and Norwegian. My wife's like part Greek. Like, we come from different places, right? Whereas the Jewish people, everybody who's ethnically Jewish can trace their family line back to the same Isaac and Abraham. So Jesus could literally look around and say, who's my family? All of you. Because they all trace it back. They're all part of the same family. But, you know, he could even take it broader than that because we all trace our history back where? Every one of us. Trace it back to Noah and then eventually ultimately to Adam and Eve. If 
you think about it, if you think in broad terms, we are all part of the same human family. We can really kind of take a step back and reshape how we think about family. But, but Jesus would have us reshape it in, in, in a different way. As we think about the value of family, there's even a different way we'd have us reshape how we think about family. He, he shows it by saying, well, he shows it, first of all, by looking around at those who were seated in a circle around him and saying, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. He, he reshapes it to say that these people who are following me in this crowd, these people are my family. These people, anybody who does what God's will is, those people are my family which is really awesome, and at the same time, that little line, does God's will, can be a little troubling. Because I don't know about you, but I, actually I do know about you in some ways, I know that I have not always been a great member of God's family, and I know you haven't either. When I look at myself, sometimes I've been the brat of the family. Sometimes I haven't treated my brothers or sisters in the faith the way God would have me. Sometimes I've kind of actually even run and, 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 and think if you relate, do you always run to your father? And I have a father that's do, your heavenly father, let's do what you want to do. Uh, what do you want me to do today? How do you want us to go today? Or do you just go your own way? Do your own thing sometimes. Do you ever lose sight of the fact that the people around you are God's children too and think or say or do hurtful things. And just like in our regular families that we think about, when one family member hurts another, what does it do? It causes pain and hurt and suffering. Sometimes we have caused pain to the heart of God and don't deserve to be part of his family. So then we see this line like, okay, whoever does God's will, but I haven't always done God's will. But here's where a passage like John chapter 6 is really helpful. Because Jesus is asked, what must we do to do the work God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Here's the really amazing thing about the gospel. The, the, the work of God is not really about any work that we do. It's actually a work that God does in us and for us. The work of God, the work of God is something that Jesus first and foremost did for us. He lived the life you and I are meant to live, the perfect sibling, perfect family member. But then he laid it down on the cross, and he died there. When he laid it down on the cross, then when we're brought to faith in that, all of our sin, every way that we have done wrong, every way that we have pained God's heart, was all placed on God, so all the justice for those wrong deeds was met and paid for there by Jesus. And in exchange... His perfect life is given back to us. When Jesus rose on Easter Sunday to give new life, when you're brought to faith in that, you have a new life. When God sees you, he sees you as a perfect member of his family. The work of God starts with Jesus and then is brought to you by the Holy Spirit giving you faith. Even faith isn't something you work up in yourself. It's a gift from God. So then here's the beautiful truth. is If you are here today and you believe that Jesus died for your sins and you believe that he rose again, then you are a member of the family of God. Because believing in Jesus, believing what he's done, that's the work of God. And there's this verse in Galatians chapter 3, which is this beautiful thing. It talks about baptism. And one of the things that we do today as we celebrate your confirmation 
is what we're really doing, we're celebrating that you have been taught the promises that God made to you in your baptism. Today, you'll make some promises, but really confirmation, first and foremost, is the fact that you've now been through class where you have learned about what God promises to you. You've learned what the gospel is. And now you're, you're at a point where you can kind of take a next step of your faith. Well, the beautiful verse in Galatians chapter 3 says that when you are baptized into Christ, you are connected with his death and resurrection so that now you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Because when you were baptized into Christ, you were clothed with Christ. Just like I'm wearing this robe and you guys are wearing your, your gowns this morning, which I know you're disappointed there weren't pockets in yours like mine. Sorry, guys. We'll work on it next time. But you have a greater robe. Through faith and through baptism, you have been clothed with Christ. And like Paul wrote in our lesson from Ephesians, he wrote about God's whole family. You are part of the family of God. When you have been brought to faith in Christ, you are now part of God's family. I want you today, especially if you have any family drama, anybody in your family who isn't happy with you at the moment, if you have anybody you're not speaking with or maybe you've got some struggle with, I want you to stop and hear this, that you have a father who is pleased to call you his child and a father who is with you everywhere you go and never lets you go. I want you to hear today that you have brothers and sisters in Christ who are connected with you, who love you, who are for you, that you have a family that is pleased with you today and here with you today. No matter what's going on in your, what we normally think about with family, you are part of the family of God. And hear that and know that. Now, he's thinking about God's family in, in this, this bigger way that doesn't negate when we think about our normal families or what we normally think about with families. Remember, God loves to work through families. Remember, he made the promise that he was going to work through Abraham's family to bless the world. He made the promise that he would work through Adam and Eve to bring, to, to, to fill the world and to fill it with his, his, his glory and his goodness. It doesn't negate, thinking about being part of God's family doesn't negate family. It transforms it and redeems it. Because now when you think about your families, you, you, you think about your family as somebody who is part first and foremost of God's family. And as someone who is part of God's family, now you can think about your family from God's perspective. And you can love on your family the way God has first loved on you. You can pray for your family. You can, can recognize what God's word says about honoring your father and your mother, or about selflessly serving others. You can practice forgiveness because you've been first forgiven. And remember, the forgiveness of the cross is so beautiful, not just between us and God, but it really makes forgiveness between people so, so achievable. You know, because so often between people, when there's a wrong, what we typically do ourselves, we say, when somebody says, hey, I'm sorry, and then you say, oh, it's okay. And it wasn't okay, right? It, would have been, it wouldn't have been an issue. What the gospel does, it makes it possible to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And you can say, I forgive you, which means that wasn't okay. It was so not okay that Jesus died for it. But I don't have to punish you. I don't have to hold anything against you because Jesus took the justice. He paid for it already. We can be forgiven. We can have reconciliation. When you have that kind of forgiveness with God, you can then practice that forgiveness within a family. When you have a Savior who is willing to go all the way to a cross to die for you, then, and he's the one that lives inside of you now, 
and, it, and it's working inside of you now, that means then that even when things get challenging and complicated with family, you can keep on going and persevering and loving even when it gets tough. God redeems family and transforms family so you can see your families differently, but then also so you can see family beyond your, what we traditionally think about with family. We talked last week about how the body of Christ is a coming together of the sacred place of God. But not only that, it's a coming together of the family of God. When we are together, you are with brothers and sisters. Which means, by the way, remember, sometimes people are like, man, this thing about church can be kind of uncomfortable or awkward about the group of church. Every family's got a crazy uncle, right? Every family's got that cousin that makes you a little bit uncomfortable or, you know, is a little too loud or... And, you know, whatever, like, if you can't think of that cousin, maybe you're that cousin. Like, you know, anyway, like, you never know, right? The church is the same way. It is the family of God. You have a family today. Because when you're baptized into Christ, you are clothed with Christ. You are a child of God. Today, recognize, and I'm thinking of you confirmants right now, too, that you are part of God's family. Today, when you are confirmed, this is, this is not at all a, a, a graduation. If you were thinking that it was, sorry, it's not. What it is is a celebration that you have been brought into the family of God. And now, you t- get to take a next step and have a different role within that family. See, that's the beautiful thing, is as every person who's part of the family of God you have a role within that family. Maybe it's to be a brother or to be a sister. Maybe it's to be a mother. Maybe within a traditional family, but maybe, maybe within, just within your, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Or maybe it's, maybe it's foster family or adopt or whatever it is. Like, there's so many different ways. But you are part of the family to play a role within that family. And today, your role changes because you get to step forward as someone who can now take the Lord's Supper. You've been taught more about your faith, so now you are equipped to teach others and to grow you are part of the family of God. And the family of God is here so that throughout this life, when we face challenges, and you guys are going to face challenges through your faith, we all face challenges, that you can have people here to support you and to love you and to encourage you. Our family, the family of God, is here to remind each other, to remind, to remind us that though this world is broken, there is a God who has made us part of his family to remind us that he has redeemed family, and to remind us that there will be a day where you stand at resurrection with the family of God, and on that day, there will be no drama. There will be no, where you walk away, but like, yeah, but did you hear that conversation? None of it. There will be a day where the family is perfectly together, and in the meantime, he empowers us to see family different now. It's been redeemed by God. You are connected to his family. He redeems your family. That's the value of family.